All right, guys, we are so excited to welcome to Below the Belt Show documentary filmmaker extraordinaire Sam Jones, the mind behind this amazing documentary on HBO Max, Tony Hawk's Until the Wheels Falls Off. Sam, good to have you on BTV. Thanks for having me. Yes, we got into our yes. uh, our inner Tony Hawk Bones Brigade spirit. Yeah, uh, definitely did. <laughs> yeah, I, I see the shirt and the photos. Yeah. Really nice. <laughs> Myself and Chachi. Uh, and what an amazing documentary. Well, yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, we're just saying myself and, and, and Chachi, my co-host, um, we're really excited uh, about the opportunity to interview because, you know, basically Tony Hawk was our childhood, you know, uh, growing up as a kid in the 80s and um, wanting to be the cool kid, uh, you know, in school and, and skate, you know. Uh, and Pal Peralta, Tony, you know, uh, Tony Hawk was a was a was a fixture. Um, were you equally as big a fan of his? Oh, uh, very much so. Yeah, I started yeah. skating uh, probably a year or two before he did. And uh, by the time I was going down to Del Mar, uh, you know, there was already talk of this young phenom who was tiny and was ripping. And so uh, it was always fun to catch a glimpse of him at the skate park and kind of see what he was doing. <laughs> But yeah, I was, uh, I came around in the first wave, you know, when I was seven or eight years old, everyone in my neighborhood got skateboards and, you know, pre precision bearings and pre, uh, urethane wheels, uh, you know, and so, uh, I got to sort of witness and be part of the progression to, you know, grip tape and, and Dogtown boards and building ramps and, you know, quarter pipes and then half pipes and, um, so it yeah it was my life uh, I just wasn't as talented as Tony but I was equally obsessed. Yeah, but who right. was you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the thing about Tony is that he always seemed like the underdog, you know, back then. So it gave you somebody to root for, you know, because you were like yeah. you know felt you're the underdog too. And if Tony could do it, you couldn't do it as good as him. But you always felt like, well, if he can do it, I can do it maybe one one thousandth. One one thousand as good as him, but you still couldn't do right. it. <laughs> but yeah, very much so. And I identified, yeah. I think, with him because we were both sort of, uh, you know, I was I I grew really late and was a really skinny small kid, and skateboarding was something that, um, you know, that I was able to do and find confidence in that didn't require other people, like a team sport or something like that. So uh, when I when I started getting better at skateboarding, I actually started you know, feeling better about myself as a human being. And, uh, and I think Tony went through a very similar thing. All right. Well, uh, if you could, uh, Sam, tell us about the journey on, on getting this uh, uh, amazing documentary to fruition. Um, usually documentaries take uh, years uh, uh, as, as far as uh, planning and um, obtaining footage and um, filming the subjects. Uh, tell us about the process from start to finish. Cool. Yeah, I mean, this one's no exception. It took years. I, I first asked Tony about it in probably 2015 or 2016. And, uh, you know, it, the first the first part of any documentary is, you know, figuring out if you have the material and the story and the, you know, all of the pieces in place where you can even legally make the film. And, and you know, especially when it involves someone alive and someone who is... Uh, you know, who has their own sort of presence. So luckily with Tony, he, he is a very soulful and uh, I don't know any other way to put it, but he, he, you know, he's a very old school person who 
makes his partnerships and his business decisions based on trust. And we had a few conversations and I think he just decided that uh, based on my connection to skateboarding and my history and the other films I'd made that he liked, uh, he just thought that was going to be uh, the, you know, the, the best way to tell his story, which I was really grateful for because I think that there's certainly someone that could have come in and offered a much flashier package or bigger money or, right. or something like that. But I, I think Tony wanted his story told, told right by someone who understood because skateboarding has a history of, you know, people who really love it and are into it. Uh, we know, you know, we've all been so disappointed by the way it's portrayed over the years in the media or by people who don't really understand it. And, and it's frustrating because when you love something and you see it not, taken care of out there in the world uh you know it's it's like someone uh gossiping about a family member you know you feel personally yeah. injured that yeah that they're not shepherding skateboarding in a way that that uh, allows other people to find it and love it and, and that was i think tony's biggest concern and so once once we sort of were on the same page about that uh then it was a matter of finding financing and uh surprisingly enough we we took it out and did not find financing immediately. And, um, you know, that process was quite lengthy, just, just going out and trying to find someone that was going to give us the money to make this thing. And eventually my partner, Mark Duplass and I decided mm -hmm. that we were going to, uh, make it ourselves because we didn't find a partner that made sense. And that turned out to be the best decision because COVID hit and we were able to just do this thing, um, on our own, uh, schedule with, you know, in a very independent fashion without anybody else worrying about, you know, how it was going to happen during COVID or, or, uh, you know, any create any creative input into the interviews or anything like that. And so it turned out to be the most amazing thing to be able to make this film in a bubble and actually completely finish it before we went out and look for someone to, uh, to buy it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's very rare that you get to take a film from, you know, from inception to completion, uh, with this much creative control. And, and I, you know, and Mark was a great partner because, you know, he put up some money, but he did not, he did not want to be involved in the creative at all. He trusted me and oh, okay. wanted me to make it the way I wanted to make it. And so between the two of us putting up our own resources and Tony, that, that was sort of the whole team. And, and Tony wow. just stayed out of the way and just said, look, I'll be as honest as I can. And uh, I'll, you know, I'll show up wherever you ask me to. And, and beyond that, he didn't have any creative input, which was really? so refreshing. Yeah. So, so yeah, because it's a very honest film and there's, you know, it's not like you're putting Tony up on a pedestal. He's very candid about his struggles from over the years. So there wasn't any kind of talk him saying like, well, there's certain stuff I don't want to talk about or that's off limits to um, to the documentary. Yeah. And I think that Tony's such a uh, public figure and a presence uh, in the media and social media that I think the assumption would be that uh, he might have a hand in it. But when you see it, you realize that's not the case. And that I was very concerned about that aspect of it and wanted to be very clear that, you know, it can't be, look like a promotional film for Tony. And, mm -hmm. and it has to be, a, you know, a real film that examines all parts of his life. And uh, and luckily he was courageous enough to do that, and brave enough to be honest. And uh, he never that never changed throughout the whole process. He he was just wow. sort of in in for a penny, in for a pound, you know. Wow. That's pretty great. One thing I'm, I'm 
amazed by uh, professional skateboarders are is the longevity. As long as you don't get too seriously injured. I mean, these guys are in their 50s now. And as you see my background, the, the Animal Chin 30th uh, uh, anniversary, these guys are doing the same tricks they did in their 20s. Yeah, it's um, amazing. Yeah. What is what are your thoughts on how um, skateboarders, unlike any other sports, are are able to just uh, maintain their um, their skill set later in their you know mid mid fifties? Well, what's amazing about what you just said is the picture behind you is not the thirtieth reunion. It is the original. It's from the original. Oh, this one. Is the original one. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows. It's so incredible when you see that section yeah. of my film that that yeah. these guys are still able to do a lot of the tricks that were in that original video. And right. in fact, the picture behind you, they, for people who can't see it's, it's the four of them, Mike McGill, Steve Caballero, Lance Mountain, and Tony Hawk. And they're doing four inverts on a, on the spine of the half pipe at the same time. Yeah. And they were able to recreate that exact same thing, wow. which is shocking. And, and I think that it's a testament to those guys specifically that they've kept up their, not only their skills, but their love for skating and their friendship. And so uh, I think I think they just have too much fun uh, doing it to quit. And, you know, everybody, everyone in their 50s, it's no joke. You know, staying fit and staying healthy and active is the only way that we're going to, you know, live, live, uh, you know, a, a decent life as we get older. And so, you know, people go to the gym, they go hiking, they go biking right. whatever it is they do uh these guys are doing the same thing they're just having a lot more fun doing it than than most people in their 50s yeah because it's a hard decision when you're like a you know a football player a, a, a wrestler you know a skateboarder even like to like when do you retire when do you say like this is too much for my body now and like and I, for me that was kind of the whole point of the documentary like you know you're gonna keep going to the wheels fall off you know like uh, when do you retire you know how much pain can you put your body through well i think it's telling that um you know the outside world asks those questions but i don't think tony ever asks that of himself and i know that mike mcgill doesn't and steve cavallaro doesn't i think that it, it's just a given that you know no matter no matter what comes up they're going to do what they can do to keep doing what they're doing you know steve cavallaro broke his femur two and a half years ago tony broke his two and a half weeks ago you know a month ago that's right and, and yeah. um you know the 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 first question for both of them was you know how do i do the physical therapy to get back and do what i love again it's it's not when do we retire i think yeah. retiring to me retiring is quitting something that you never liked doing that much in the first place you know i think retiring <laughs> is a word that accountants use and lawyers use <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know but when you love something it's like yeah i'll retire when i'm dead you know, or, or till I literally can't do it, but I think these guys will find some form of it. You know, Mike and Steve and I not too long ago went to a pump track and, you know, skated that. And, uh, and you know, I still skate vert and, and, uh, but I was skating the pump track thinking I could do this in my seventies, you know, and it's wow. super fun. So I, yeah, I think, I think these guys will find a version of doing what they love uh forever and you know tony's brother said to me he he said that tony is probably going to be the first 
80 year old to do a backside air and i you know and I, <laughs> I believe him i would love to see that in 30 yeah. years i would love to see that um, I, I was curious on the challenges of um mixing um archival footage with the new footage and getting the both the visual aspect and the audio aspect on the same level uh-huh how was well, that accomplished I, you know the the archival was challenging because we had to track it all down and and a lot of those things i remember through the years you know i used to buy mm-hmm. those videos and they get you know not just the not just the bones brigade videos but all of the um yeah the don hoffman brad dorfman videos that sims and and uh you know there's a i forget the name of it but um uh those unreal productions used to put out a lot of contest videos so you could see Trashmore, you could see arizona you could see all these contests and and you know we would pass around these vhs tapes so i knew they all existed but the challenge was finding the best preserved version of that footage and Mm. digitizing it and tracking down old 16 millimeter and eight millimeter uh and that that became sort of some of those some of those contests that we really wanted to illustrate you know Mm. finding that footage became very important because um because it told our story best and and you know that that was at times heartbreaking and at times incredibly exciting when we we found an, an original master and digitize it and find out what we had and you know like when we first found tony hawk's dad being interviewed uh in a 16 minute piece that had never been used for anything it was incredibly exciting oh, that's um, awesome. you know it, again tony's brother said to me uh, you know i haven't i haven't ever seen my dad speak on video before so for him it was oh, incredible wow. because back then you know it just people didn't have cameras if you, if you wanted to right, videotape yeah. a contest you had to have like a truck and a and a whole rig and a and a trained crew and so we feel very lucky that we found as much as we found yeah, speaking of tony's dad i was really surprised because i didn't follow all this stuff as close as others but um just how integral tony's dad was to making the sport of skateboarding legit yeah incredibly integral uh he not only started the nsa before that he started castle which was the california amateur skateboard league and he you know he reacted he recognized early on that all these parks were popping up and all these kids were skating and they wanted to compete and the individual park owners would sometimes have contests and they were a shambles and there was no uh there was no judging uh rules or regulations there was no sort of organization there was no sponsors uh you know the entry fees were uh, if anything they were you know cash in a box that day and probably used to buy beer that night so (laughs) you know and tony's dad was so was so good at putting his kids priorities first and realizing that the time you get with your kids is short and he luckily had the the wherewithal and the authority and the ability to to say hey this this stuff needs to be organized so i skated castle um and, you know, and there were trophies, there were medals. You had to sign up. You, you had your organized practice time. You had your your runs, uh, and uh, the whole thing was completely the brainchild of of you know Tony's dad. Also, um, the Hoffmans, uh, Don Hoffman's parents, uh, started the Upland Skate Park pipeline, and they, these parents just they just saw that their kids loved this thing, and they 
they wanted to be involved. And if it wasn't for Frank and for Tony, you could you could surmise that skateboarding would not have been in the X Games or the Olympics ever. You know, mm-hmm. and, and 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 like in the film, you know, Tony's dad took a lot of crap for it from a lot of kids who, you know, were just looking to find whoever the authority was and mm-hmm. and rebel mm-hmm. against them. But yeah. but you know, Tony's Tony's father, he loved Tony so much and and wanted to help him have a community that had some organization and saw Tony's skill. So uh, he, you know, there's there's no way to overestimate his his influence on skateboarding. Yeah. And like watching watching Tony back then, um, you know, as any kid would be, you know, teenage years, you want to be cool, you want to be independent. For me, it felt like he was kind of like, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say embarrassed, but, you know, like having your dad around, you know, when you're trying to do all this stuff. But, you know, it really was heartwarming to see now that you're older looking back on that kind of stuff. Like he's really just there for his son, you know, wanting to do stuff and spend time with his son. So I thought that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I have a 16 year old daughter and uh, finding moments where we can spend time together, especially when our kids are that age, uh, it's challenging because rightfully so they should be finding their own independence and mm-hmm. uh you know congregating with their peer group and being mad at their parents and thinking their parents are all dummies you know <laughs> but um but the memories they have will be with their family will be those those times and uh, you know i think frank hawk was was i don't know if he was strategic about it but he realized that that you know, doing this would allow him to spend time with his son. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I look for those opportunities with my kids the same way because the, the time is so short that it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Tony, uh, being sprung into adulthood, uh, pretty much in, in high school years and, and buying a house, which I think is amazing. I'm, uh, I'm glad yeah. you showcased that, but you also showcased, uh, some of the, um, the darker times when, when skateboarding took a dip in the early nineties, um that that really uh, brought a lot of emotion um but uh-huh. i was also curious do you feel like skateboarding will not reach that dark time again that that dip that it's on the 90s due to it now being the olympics now being you know x games being very popular do you see skateboarding um pretty much uh flourishing well I, look no one has a crystal ball and and as stacy says skateboarding is cyclical but i i do think that um it's much harder to kill off now than it was back then because it's all over the world. It is, uh, it's so inclusive. You see as many women as, or girls and boys as boys at the skate park, you see, uh, you know, every, every race, gender, you just see this inclusive world and the, the price of entry is, is small. You know, you get a skateboard, you get some pads and you're good to go. You don't need a whole team. You don't need the organization. And, and the thing that Tony has done throughout his career, which is so amazing is that, and this, he learned from his father as well, but he is, he has personally shepherded the, the boom in uh, public skate parks that have shown up in every city around the world. And, and, you know, his foundation has helped over 10,000 skate parks get started. Uh, and, And that is something that, it was unimaginable, you know, Del Mar and Upland were the last two parks and it was heartbreaking when, when they got shut down and back then they were all owned privately. And, and, you know, I think people realized that yeah, number one, that the land they were on became more valuable 
and number two that the parks weren't made that great anyway so the kids weren't having as much fun as they as they would if the park was designed well so you had all these parks close and uh, Fran, not many people know this but the whole reason that del mar was the last surviving park was because frank brokered a deal with the ymca to provide the insurance for oh, wow. del mar skate park and so oh, wow. uh or sorry i'm sorry not the ymca the boy scouts um, okay he brokered the deal between the boy scouts which was an organization he was a part of to insure mm -hmm. Uh, the skate park and the deal was everyone that signed up for a membership at Del Mar had to join the Boy Scouts. So the only reason <laughs> I was ever a Boy Scout was so I could skate Del Mar. And, and that kept the park open for an extra maybe two years because of his ingenuity and getting around a rule about insurance that, you know, the, the Boy Scouts carried this giant insurance policy, which we find out later, you know, they probably some, probably some, you know, internal, <laughs> internal, yeah. uh, stuff that went on there but um but you know i i do think and i know i'm being long-winded about this but i feel very passionately about it that um skateboarding has really in the time that tony's been alive and and skating uh it has turned from an outsider activity to an all-inclusive sport that's yeah it's on the olympics and uh, um and i think that it's uh, <laughs> i guess we can finally say it's here to stay uh, and it makes me really happy you know I got, well, I, I, my kids can't even understand when I turned on the Olympics and I, I was so excited that they could see that and that it would be put up next to things like gymnastics or ice skating or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we only, have a, uh, we only have a minute left for one more question. Um, Tony Hawk, uh, Tuxedo and All represented, I guess, the best documentary at the Oscars. Is, is your film in contention for next year? Well, he was actually uh, presenting award for... Uh, the James Bond movie series, sort of a lifetime achievement award for right. that series. Okay, uh, right. My, my film, uh, I think, uh, it's not eligible for an Oscar because it, it wasn't in theaters. It went straight to HBO. Oh. But I think it's eligible uh, to be nominated for an Emmy. However, oh, cool. I, I, I do think that documentaries that are this kind of, uh, I don't know, fun and, and about things like skateboarding may, <laughs> may not be taken as seriously as some documentaries about rescuing kids in a cave and... Uh, you know, you know, in across the country. And, and uh, so, I, you know, for me, the fact that it's out there and people can find it on HBO and see it, that is bigger than my wildest dreams, you know, to make a film that could be seen by this many people. Awesome. Uh, and yes, if it got awards, that'd be great. But I, I'm, I'm so happy with the whole experience. Awesome. Well, wow. We thank you so much. And really quick, you, you recently did an episode of Ted Lasso as a yeah. director. Yeah. Oh, very cool. How's that experience? That was great. I mean, it, it was my first sort of out in the world work experience post COVID. I had just gotten vaccinated yeah. and uh, flew over to London and, and uh, I didn't even care that I had to wear a mask 12 hours a day to, just to be around other creative people and, and on a show that I was a genuine fan of. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was show. a fantastic experience. Um, yeah, I loved it. And if I could sneak one more, have you thought about of your course. next documentary? Of course. I'm okay for, I'm okay for <laughs> a few more minutes. Have you thought about your next documentary feature and what, what subject you'd like to tackle? Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a few that um, I'm working on right now. Uh, one that I'm working on is about the podcast Smartless. And 
It's Smart List is a podcast hosted by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. Uh, and we made a verite uh, documentary about about uh, a tour that they recently did. And it was an incredibly different kind of film for me. And uh, we're in the middle of editing it right now. And it's, it's pretty fun. Oh, that's dope. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sachi, you have a closing uh, question? Yeah, yeah. If somebody wanted to, um, such an awesome story on um, this whole Tony Hawk documentary, if somebody wanted to create a scripted um, movie based on his life, would you want to be involved in that? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I've, I think that we've mostly seen the bad version of that scenario, right? I, I was not particularly a fan of Lords of Dogtown, because I thought Dogtown and Z-Boys was such an authentic portrait of that time in skateboarding. Um, and I suppose the answer is I would want to do everything I could if if that was going to be made to it being made right. And and uh, yeah, I just I just couldn't say how that would even look. I think that our film has so much of the qualities of a narrative feature anyway, with with all of the sort of. Uh, anticipation and, and thrills yeah. in, in it that oh, yeah. I, I don't know exactly how that would work, but, uh, but yeah, yeah it, I, 900 was so, um, was so thrilling to see and all that. Yeah. Isn't it funny and, and like, that the 900 footage is so fascinating to watch when you, when you watch it in real time. Oh, we had such fun cutting that part of the film. That's amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Sam Jones. This is incredible. Oh, my uh, pleasure, guys. For being here uh, on Below the Belt show, which is going to be featured on this week's podcast. So if you could uh, do a promo, let us know who you are. Throw out a plug for Tony Hawk's Until the Wheels Falls Off and let us know you're on Below the Belt show. Sure. Hey, I'm Sam Jones. I'm here on Below the Belt. And I made the film Tony Hawk Until the Wheels Fall Off, which you can find right now on HBO Max. Yes. Awesome. 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 Let's do a little snapshot. Okay. Here we Josh, go. Gonna, yep. On count three. On count three. One, two, three. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for doing the story justice, and you know, for all yes. of us, you know, old skateboard fans, you know, as a kid, oh, yeah. and even now that you, you know, came along and you just did right by all of us. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was fantastic. it was truly my pleasure to make this film. So I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, we we loved it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Uh, have a good day, Sam. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you, Sierra. Thank you, Sierra.